As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, James, you know what happens when we have a guest, especially a very special guest. He is the Steve Martin to Mark Masters, Alec Baldwin, Chris Johnson, our buddy. Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Oh, we're back. Doesn't it? It feels like hockey season, doesn't it? Like it's uh, maybe it was the uh, I don't know if it was the rookie camps or the the Babcock news or something, but it really feels like it's uh, the NHL is back in a big way right now. It does, you know. I I can only speak personally, but I, I feel like finally having a what we would call a normal summer uh, because COVID has disrupted multiple seasons in terms of the calendar. So it was a long break between games and then you know being out this week at the Leafs golf tournament and getting ready to go to camp tomorrow I mean it, it feels I haven't been this sort of juiced up for a season I would say in a couple of years anyway and and I think it's going to be an interesting year around the league and especially of course with the Leafs uh, you know with a big off season of changes at the top of the organization and everything that kind of flows out of that. So I know uh, we normally save questions from our listeners towards the end, but we do have some questions for you, Chris. So I figured I would uh, sprinkle some of these in as we have our conversation. We're going to focus on, uh, we're going to kind of do like a Leafs training camp preview here today. So um, the one question that we had that the most of our listeners want you to answer is, CJ, can you actually believe we're running it back again? (laughs) I mean, I, I guess I've had enough time now to, to make peace with that or to, to think about that. Um, so I, I guess I can now, but, but certainly in the month or, or so after the second round ended and the Leafs lost to, to the Panthers, I wouldn't have thought that was likely. I mean, you know, based on that, that one last availability Kyle Dubas gave before, you know, he was fired, it certainly sounded like he was 
at least considering bigger style changes or, or not running it back with, with the, the core players. But, you know, this is something I, I think that, that Brandon Shanahan believes very strongly in, you know, from his own experiences, seeing how long it took uh, his Red Wings team uh, to, to win a Stanley Cup. Obviously, that team was close for a lot of years, even before he got traded there. And, and understanding that sometimes the, the biggest obstacle that that cores of, of teams have is just not having enough kicks at it. And, you know, if, if we, this had been a lightning podcast and we were doing it after they were swept by Columbus a few years ago in the first round, you know, I'm sure in, in those circles, there, there were a lot of people saying they should change uh, things up or, or look at uh, bigger changes. They ended up, you know, sticking with the, the main group they have and won two Stanley Cups and got to a third final since then. So, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a r- risky decision it, in some, some ways, um, we'll never know what they could have done instead. I think that that's, that's important to note. You, you don't know what the trade would be if, if you're talking about getting rid of someone like William Nylander or Mitch Marner, or what they could do with the cap space even potentially. Um, but you know, this is, this, this is, this is the Shanna plan. Uh, I know we don't use that word as much around the lease anymore, but this is, this is what it's been, right? He, he talked about making a plan and sticking to it. I know Jonas referenced that in an article he's got up at The Athletic, and this is this is where we are. Well, I'm glad you brought this up, CJ, because I've been thinking about this a lot. And I've just been, be- obviously, because training camp started, because I wrote about Shanahan, like you mentioned. What do you think it is that, like you mentioned his his own playing career, you mentioned some teams that have, you know, had their playoff Oibles, whatever you want to call it. But I don't know that any of those explanations like really satisfy me because like even Tampa, like we mentioned Tampa, like Tampa gets swept in that first round. The year before they went to the conference finals, a few years before that, they were in the Stanley Cup final. Like they had history of, of actually performing in the playoffs. We've got like a pretty large sample of this team, mostly not. Like obviously you look at that Tampa series, impressive, they got through. But then it, it kind of looked the same against Florida. Why do you think, if you had to pinpoint one thing, Brendan Shanahan believes in that really core group of five guys? Like, what do you think it is? Do you think he just thinks it's talent and eventually talent will pull through? Do you think he looks at, like you mentioned, those Red Wings teams? Like, why do you actually think he is so committed to these guys when I think, like in any other organization, they would have done something? at the center of it by now? Well, I think that he has a pretty good understanding of how crappy the seasons were uh, that the Leafs needed to have to draft those players. You know, when you're, when you're getting a first overall pick and a fourth and an eighth and, and all those types of things, I mean, those are pretty miserable years. And, and, you know, in the early days of when Brendan Shanahan was brought to Toronto, uh, we were all around the team covering it in those, that time. It was, you know, it was some pretty barren seasons to, to even just amass the players. Obviously he feels a loyalty to them. Uh, to some degree, I mean, loyalty is pretty relative in pro sports. Uh, it comes and goes, but but you know, I think he he likes them, and I mean, it's hard to argue outside the playoffs that that those guys haven't been home runs for the Leafs. I mean, we're talking about with with Matthews, Marner, and Nylander in particular. I mean, it's three of the better individual Leaf forwards you, you, the, the organization's had in a hundred plus years. Now it hasn't worked in the playoffs, and and obviously, I think that. You know, the, the one thing that, that upper management's looking at is that hockey is, is more of a team game than sometimes we discuss. And I think that they feel that there's ways that they can improve the team around those players to 
to have them in a position to have the ultimate kind of success. And so, you know, I, I think it is quite literally that simple um, that there's just, if, if you were to trade one of them in a trade that doesn't make sense, you know, it's, it's essentially sort of flushing, you know, to, to replace that level of talent. I, I mean, the Leafs are not going to draft more than likely players of that talent in these, these next few years. I don't think they have in the last few years. Obviously, they've traded draft picks, and they're just not—they're not, not going to be a team that's landing uh, picks in, in the top, you know, couple picks of the draft. And so, you know, I, I think it's—I think that—that's where it's at. And you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's really easy to, to criticize. I, I think because you know we've we've all watched those playoff series unfold, and it hasn't worked. But there's there's a belief there that if they keep knocking at the door, they'll they'll open it. And and I think we've probably got to the stage where. It's less and less people believing that, you know, it's hard to have a read on the entire fan base, but certainly I, I sense, you know, from those that support the team, there's a, there's a little bit of there's a lot of skepticism or, or disbelief that it's going to work by doing it this way. But, you know, at the, the people that are, have their hands on the levers um, certainly believe that. And, and, you know, look, I, I, I think with Brad Trilliving next summer, you know, after he's had a year in the seat, uh, we'll be, we'll be facing, some degree of decisions, you know, we'll see how the Nylander situation plays out. Obviously next summer, Mitch Marner is eligible to sign an extension. You know, maybe, maybe finally you're looking at some changes uh, after a year, but I think it would be a lot to ask of a new GM, even one as experienced as tree living is to come in and make those, those kind of decisions within a matter of weeks. And that's essentially what he was tasked with. I think he was hired or unveiled on May 31st. And, you know, really, if you were going to move one of those players, you probably had to do it before, their, their trade protection kicked in on July 1st. And so I think it's a, a series of things, but, but ultimately I think it rests with Brendan Shanahan and, and his belief in, in those players. How, how seriously do you think though, Chris, that they looked at potentially changing the core? Like I, I know they've, they've kicked tires on a Nylander possible move in the past and just never really liked any kind of a return or any kind of a trade that that would be like, how much was that even explored? this year in, in the window that tree living did have. I, I think around the draft, it was discussed a little bit just to, you know, just lightly. It's not like they were saying they had to tr- trade them, but you know, that, that window in June is really where I think teams can safely at least explore other things. Um, teams tend to have more salary cap flexibility at that point in the schedule. Obviously no one's uh, playing games at that point. We're talking about after the Stanley cup final has been decided and, and, a lot of different organizations might be in a mood to consider bigger types of moves than they, than they would be typically in the course of a season. And so, you know, I think that there was at least some degree of discussion around what he might get back. And, and, you know, the fact that, that William Nylander is still with the Leafs, I mean, it's a reflection of how they feel about him, but I also think, you know, the offers just weren't, there was nothing even remotely compelling enough that, you know, I don't think anything even got close to happening. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one because any team, that might trade for William Nylander. I mean, this is the same dynamic that's playing out in Calgary with someone like Elias Lindholm. You know, if, if you're, if the flames don't want to sign him to the kind of deal he is, I mean, are you expecting another team to, to trade a high quality asset and then also sign him to the contract that a team like the flames or the Leafs might be balking at with their players. I think that it's, it's a, it's a tough ask in, in some ways when, when you get a player that's one year out uh, from, from unrestricted free agency, I think that's, maybe part of the value of, of trading someone maybe that's just two years out because uh, at least that team doesn't need to have the same idea that they need to sign them right away. You know, it's, it's a unique circumstance that comes together like the Matthew Kachuk did deal did in Florida. 
uh, where, where they were, you know, able to sign them to an extension in, in conjunction with the trade they made with Calgary, you know, a summer ago. And so, you know, I, I just, I just think ultimately that the offers weren't there. I, I, I do believe, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this Nylander negotiation, but I do think the Leafs will stick with them through this entire season, no matter, you know, in, in the event he's not signed to an extension, I think that they're just going to ride with it and take their chances, um, you know, later on as it gets closer to July 1st, 2024. Um, because I just, I don't think they can get commiserate value for someone who scored 40 goals and 80 points and frankly is produced in the playoffs to a degree that some of his teammates haven't too in, in the last few years. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. Like, I think there's the perception of Neander league-wide seems to be different from people who watch in Toronto every day. Like, he doesn't seem to be valued at the same degree. I do think it's interesting, CJ, like with what they've done this offseason and I find it, I don't know how to describe it. I find it interesting, I guess I'll leave it at that, that they seem to think like it's a personality issue with their team. Um, like Bradshaw Living signs Ryan Reeves for three years and says like his impression of what he heard of this team's dressing room was that it was quiet and they needed to add some personality and they bring in Tyler Bertuzzi and they bring in Max Domi and they say that they've added more whatever grit, even though I think... I don't know that that's even actually true that they weren't that before, but what do you make of that? Like that they actually seem to think that the, I don't know if they think that this is the reason, but they think it's a reason clearly that the personalities that they've had weren't right. And yet I really, I, I struggle with that because they had like Ryan O'Reilly and they had Luke Shen and like they had Jason Spetz in years past. Like they've had personality to their team. Why do you think that they think that that actually is a problem? I don't think it's come naturally to this team for whatever reason. You know, I, I even think back to, to being in Tampa during the playoffs last year, Sheldon Keith, you know, mentioned sort of that they all went out to dinner and he, he you know, he was sensing a different sort of camaraderie among that group. I, I think that they've, they've kind of been searching for it and, and, you know, why that is, how do I know? I mean, I, I do think that sometimes certain teams bond together in a certain way. I'm not at all suggesting here between the lines, these guys don't like each other, but just for whatever reason, maybe, they feel they haven't got the mix right. I mean, it seems like it's been a consistent um, theme that that management has tried to address. You know, what I've always found in hockey is, is you can certainly bring in personalities and, and players that, 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 that bring maybe that element that your top guys that, you know, personality wise that are different than your top players. But I think it's sometimes hard for players, unless they're, you know, really integral part of the group to, to put that personality to, to best use, so to speak. I mean, it, I, I think one, it, you know, one player I'd put aside from that is Ryan Reeves. I think he's, he's such a big personality. I, I don't know that it, it would matter to him exactly if he's in the lineup every game or what kind of minutes he's playing. I mean, obviously we know what type of player he is at this point. If he's playing, he's sort of the 12th forward on the team, but I, I think that he, he will mix it up no matter what, just because of kind of guy he is. But, um, you know, it's definitely been a, a consistent theme around the Leafs. So they've tried to to, to find a, maybe the the best um, feeling around the group. And I and I will tell you, I mean, take it for what it's worth. This is maybe the equivalent of you know saying a player's in the best shape of his life. But you know, I have heard you know from some people that work around the Leafs that there's a different uh, mood and atmosphere around the team uh, this year in the preseason. Um, that maybe a, a little re-energized kind of feeling, a little different more relaxed, uh, comfortable feeling uh, among the team with maybe it's, it's a result of the changes that were made, 
you know, I think that, for example, Sheldon Keefe, we'll, we'll, we'll see a different Sheldon Keefe this year. Um, by no means suggesting there's any issues with Kyle Dubas, but they worked together so long. I think it's natural now to look at him as sort of a man standing on his own, right? He's, he's, I think he's, he's freed in some ways to do things maybe his own way or a different way than had been done in the past um, when him and Dubas had obviously worked together so closely over a number of years. And so, you know, I think there is maybe a new energy this year. We'll see if it, if it means anything when, when the chips are down. I mean, we're a long way from the, the playoffs, I think. Two hundred days between there and now, uh, give or take. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to to build their way up and be, you know, to be ready for those moments. Maybe in a way they haven't been in the past. But you know, we've always heard it's a quiet bench, it's a quiet dressing room. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of quiet when you, when you add players like Reeves and, and Max Domi and maybe even Tyler Bertuzzi. I think it's 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 going to be a, a little different vibe, and I, I don't know if it's going to matter. I think we have to kind of watch how it plays out. To, to see if it, if it changes anything. I guess that's the part that I struggle with it. Why does that matter? Like, let's say like Bertuzzi is basically bunting. Bunting is not like he was quiet or anything like that. And I don't know why a louder dressing room is going to matter in game five of a playoff series. Like, is it supposed to, is it, I'm, I'm just working this through in my head. So I'm not saying it's wrong. I guess like, is, is the idea then that, the star players are going to feel lighter because the bench is louder. Like, I, I guess I just don't understand how this correlates. Like this seems to be like a mostly hockey thing. Like I follow the other sports really pretty closely. This doesn't really come up in basketball. It doesn't really come up in, in football. It, it doesn't come up in baseball that much. Like, I don't know why a dressing room personality is seen as so important in hockey. Like maybe I like, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't totally understand it. Well, my best guess is that it's damn hard to win. And usually teams that win have to go through some crap and, you know, you have to, you have to stick with it and, and, you know, maintaining that belief in the group, I think it can be really important. Uh, I'm not suggesting the Leafs have pulled the shoot in previous years, but maybe that when things get tough, they've wavered a little too much and they haven't been able to be the best version of themselves. And, and there's a thought of, of, you know, if they can kind of build that internal confidence or have players around that help do that, you know, whether it's in the physical aspect of the game or, um, you know, even just in, in the way they interact with each other, that that can make a difference. I mean, I, I think that that would be maybe the most plausible answer. You know, I, I do think the teams that have success in the Stanley Cup playoffs tend to have a certain swagger about them. Um, it's it's a different style of hockey for good or for ill. It's, it's certainly more physical. Intimidation is still part of the game even in a world where fighting is, is down dramatically over the last decade or two. And, you know, we saw that with Florida. I mean, Florida had characters, right? Florida, um, and they and they had to get through being down 3-1 to one to Boston, you know, a team that had a historically great regular season to even go on their run. And then they, they kind of got through Toronto and Carolina, two of the best teams in the East, pretty easily and pretty handily uh, before running into Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, I think the Leafs are trying to find that – that element maybe of letting go of some things and, and being a little bit more resilient as a group. And, and when things go badly in the playoffs, or if it's been a couple games since the top line scored a goal, and, and that's what we're all talking about in the media and among the fan base, pushing through that and finding a way to, to, to still find success because, you know, we do know historically, you look at any team that's won a cup, it's rarely happened in an easy manner. And the Leafs, uh, the Leafs need to fight through and find a way to, to, to win some series when, when things aren't going their way. Let me uh, 
I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Chris. Um, do you have do you have any like a contrarian take about this Leafs team enter, entering training camp? Like, is there something in the moves they made, or like, do, do you have a? Can you give us a a little a Leafs hot take about either maybe a player or like something that's different or? I, you know, you've listened to us do the first couple of shows out of the break, and we've analyzed basically every player and every trade and everything. Like, is there is there something you want to throw out there into the Leafs zeitgeist that's maybe a little bit different than the way people are talking about things? Man, you should have you should have texted me that one ahead of time because there's nothing that's jumping I'll, right hey, to mind. I'll give you one while uh, you think about it that I've been thinking of the last few days. You guys can tell me if you think this is crazy. Is there any way? Like I'm always trying to think like what is Sheldon Keefe going to do at camp that I'm not expecting because he always does like something weird. Like CJ, I remember a few years back you got like that the the early word that he was going to play Thornton with Matthews and Martin. I'm like, "Oh my god, I didn't ever thought of that." So I've just been wondering like is there any way they're going to have a different person playing center on the second line and they're going to move Tavares over? Like I'm just preparing for that and I've been like thinking like is there any way that I'm going to get to camp and that's going to be a reality so that's one that's just like crossed my mind a bit in the last few days I don't know if that has jived anything that you that you've been thinking of or well I wouldn't be surprised to see them play Nylander in the middle this year a little bit more than they have yeah um but I don't know if that's contrarian you know I'll, I'll tell you no I did find I just don't know how much this ultimately matters in the in the grand scheme of things but I I didn't have anywhere near as big a problem with the Ryan Reeves deal is, as I saw in some of my social media feeds. Um, I, I, I think it's relatively harmless at the dollars. It is. I know it's long-term, but, it, but yeah, let, let me interrupt you, Chris. So like, wh- what do they do with the the lines though, with him there? Like, that's what, Chris, that's what Jonas and I have been talking about a lot is like, how do you construct a fourth line that makes any sense with him on it? We're going to have to go to camp and see. I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I certainly expect them to play, though. I mean, you don't sign a guy to a three-year deal and scratch him on opening night unless something really goes wrong. Um, well, that's the other it's thing. It's going to be a different... I mean, to, to counter, to counter, like the New York Rangers a couple years ago, they didn't sign him for three years, but they signed him to a contract. I think he had been with them the year before. They signed him to another contract in the summer. 12 games into the season, they start benching him, and that's it. And they traded him. I, like, I don't think that's going to happen here. But I think there's a world where 40 games in a season, they're just like, I don't know. Anyway, sure. Continue. Half a season for sure. But I mean, I, I, what I mean is I think we're going to see him on the fourth line in October, like pretty, pretty confident in that and, and see what, what can work. I mean, I guess the question is, what do you want out of your fourth line? I mean, there, there was years under Kyle Dubas. I think they were trying to build a fourth line that could score a little bit. They've gone away from that in more recent seasons and had just more sort of defensive stoppers or just players that a whole lot doesn't happen at either end when they're on the ice. Um, you know, this is maybe going to be more of a New York Islander style fourth line or something that, that we're looking at for the Leafs. I mean, I don't, I don't still yet know how things are going to work out in camp. I mean, we got Noah Greger coming in on a PTO that I think there's a reasonable chance he could turn into a contract. I don't think that's one of those ones where they just need another veteran to play some exhibition games and doesn't really have a shot at making the team. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I look at it. It's going to, I don't know what's the, the biggest question mark for me, quite honestly, is what their blue line is going to look like, how they're going to make that work. Um, I thought you might see a little more change there than, than they did. I, I guess, again, easier said than done. Uh, but a lot of their, their work was done at forward beyond bringing in Klingberg and then obviously letting Justin Hall uh, move on. But, you know, I, I, I actually think this will be a, a pretty experimental season for them. I, 
some of the things that have been sort of accepted uh, truths about how the, the team needs to be deployed or used, I think will go out the window. Um, you know, not again, not because expressly of Kyle Dubas leaving, but I just think, I think that they're, they're in a mode to rethink things after, you know, having some of those kind of changes and having some new personnel to, to make those decisions around. It's interesting. You Well, can I just explore? Wait, see, sorry, James. I just want to follow up on, on one thing just to explore CJ's contrarian view. Why do, don't you mind the Reeves deal? Because like, I don't get it at all. Um, it doesn't like even one year wouldn't make sense to me. Why? Why do you think it's just okay? Fine, whatever. Because maybe I'm one of these mouth breathing Neanderthals, <laughs> but I, I believe I believe that they do need a little more personality, and um, I, I think they need a little more swagger. I, you know, I, I I just see in the playoffs. I mean, some of the, some of the times they get in there, and, and I get it. Everyone that's that that hates this signing is is yelling right now. <laughs> they're walking their dog, listening to the pod, and they're going like, "Well, he's not going to play in the playoffs." I mean, I, I think he is. And I, I believe that, that what we've seen is some of those teams play around a little greasier around the edges. You know, I, I think of like the way the fourth line at Tampa had success two years ago against the Leafs and you got Corey Perry out there. I mean, it's the, what's the shot you remember? Yeah, but he's a better player like by a lot than him, than Ryan Reeves. And like, so is Matt Martin. Like, I just don't get, like, what in a playoff series he's going to contribute. Like, he's gone. I'm pulling up his playoff he stats. He barely plays. I think it's, like, 65. Yeah, he barely plays, and he's gone, like, 65 straight games without a goal. Last year, he he played eight and a half minutes for Minnesota, who lost in the first round. Like, I mean, the year before that, 18 games for New York. He played nine and a half minutes, zero goals, zero points, 13 shots. Like, I just don't. What is he contributing in a playoff series, like, besides personality? And does... Does that matter? I don't know. Like, yeah, go ahead, CJ. I don't know. Like, I don't think you're, I I don't know. I just don't get it. Here's the thing. This is, this, this is not, there's no way we can put stats to this. So this is just my feeling, but I, you know, I've attended every playoff game and obviously done my media duty. So I've been around the dressing room and everything uh, that this group has played in the last seven years. And my feeling is that when it gets hard, that they, there's something for some of the top players, like they, they get in their own minds a little bit and you know, they, they just haven't found a way to push through and be themselves. And I thought you saw it. I mean, remember how defensive Mitch Marner was, um, you know, there's a couple days between games three and four in Florida yeah. and, he, and he did a scrum before the day before game four. And I know they won game four and ultimately lose the series in game five. But, you know, I think these guys have to have a little bit more of an effort mentality I mean, F everything, the media, the fans, whatever's on social media, just go out and do it. And I, I just think that they could use a little bit more of a cavalier attitude. And I think someone like Ryan Reeves can help them find that. Uh, um, but again, that, that's, that's not going to show. There's no way for me to measure that. And if it works, you know, we probably can't even measure that. We're just, if it works, we're going to say, oh yeah, of course they finally won because Marner and Matthews had these monster playoff years or, or Tavares and Nylander or whatever it ends up being. Um, but I, I do think that a little, a little different atmosphere, um, will, will benefit them. And, and honestly, to ask, to go back to the, the very first question about the core, I thought that they, one way to achieve that as we entered the off season would have been trading a member of the core forwards away and, and, you know, shaking things up that way, because obviously that kind of move would get everyone's attention would, would just naturally shift how the lines are used, depending on what you're getting back would, 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 would have 
sufficiently shocked the system to, to do this. Um, yeah, I just think at one, what is it, 1.35 million, give or take, for, on Reeves' deal, I, I think it's a worthy gamble. There's a reason why a lot of teams were in the market for this guy. I think he's played 100 playoff games. I know he's, he's not likely to score a goal that wins you the series, but I think that he can give them a dose of what they need. And, and I think, you know, Bertuzzi and Domi are players more likely to help them on the ice, but I think can also, you know, assist them a little bit in that regard too. It, it feels a bit, I mean, let's not get stuck too long on this, but like they've tried this before, right? Like this was the idea with Joe Thornton. Yes. This was the idea with Wayne Simmons. Like even, you know, the trade deadline guys, they bring That's in. Uh, yeah. Like they've, and I think that now that we've watched them try to do this to change the personality of the team so many times, it's like you can't really change the personality of a team by changing the fourth line or by changing the third defense pair. Like you, if you really want to, alter the personality of your team you gotta it's got to be guys higher in the lineup and i mean we'll see if domi and bertuzzi and and klingberg and and that do that but i think that's where the skepticism comes is like we reeves just feels like going down the same path that we've been down a few times you know like joe thornton was supposed to be good in the room and etc 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 and it and it didn't work um let me uh and then he could barely play in the playoffs, James. Yeah. Uh, let me take it in a different direction, though, Chris. How do you feel about uh, the Klingberg a- acquisition? Because that was the one. He obviously wasn't their first choice to go get in free agency. He's a different style of player than the players they were they were looking at targeting, like Agudas. Um, but do you think, how, how do you think that's going to play out? Because he's obviously struggled in, in Anaheim and, and his last year in Dallas. He didn't get the contract he was looking for a couple of years ago. Like, did what do you make of, of, I guess, the gamble that they're making with him? Well, he's a massive wild card, right? And, you know, I think if you go back to two years ago, he was playing out the final year of a seven-year deal in Dallas. He wanted an extension. I think it weighed on him quite heavily. He was open about that. You know, he bets on himself last summer and signs a one-year deal. It's $7 million in Anaheim. That that didn't go well. He's in Minnesota at the end of the season after a deadline trade and, and you know, get at scratch for some games and now here he is on another one-year contract i mean i from the business side of the sport this guy's head must be spinning a little bit um you know maybe those experiences of the last two years will make him more comfortable on you know with with relatively little security that he finds himself with in toronto you know the one difference of course especially from from anheim is is he's on a team with a lot of good players around him i don't think he needs to be he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel uh, with this group, I would expect you're going to see him play on the top power play, which, you know, by virtue alone should should help him, you know, put up some pretty good offensive numbers. Um, but it, it was, I, I guess you're, you're buying low on a stock at this point in time. And, and the guy did take almost half the salary he was accounted for last year. And it is only a one-year contract. So there's, there's relatively little risk in it from the Leafs end of things. I, I just don't know what to expect of him after some pretty massive declines in his, his underlying numbers the last few seasons. Again, I, I recognize that the, 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 you know, where he played last season with a Ducks team that was more interested in trying to win the Connor Bedard lottery than, than a game on any given night, um, you know, probably can, can explain away some of, some of that performance or underperformance. But, um, you know, really what we're asking here is at this stage of his career, 10, 11, 12 years into an NHL career, can he, can he rediscover some form of, of what he was in his best seasons? And, and, you know, history, history doesn't always fall on the player side for that, but I do think, you know, coming to a team like this and, and the way the Leafs should be able to insulate him uh, in five on five minutes to some degree, 
you know, should be helpful. But I, I don't know what to expect if I'm being honest, just because you, you've seen such a steep decline and, and, you know, it feels, it feels like a gamble. I mean, there's a world where literally, I, you know, maybe he just has, has sort of lost it and, and, you know, can't get it back. And if that's the case, then we're going to be talking pretty quickly, but the Leafs having to make a trade, I would think um, before the deadline uh, to, to bring in another impact defenseman. Yeah, I think that's, that's very likely just based on the group. And like one thing, like you mentioned cup winners and what they have, like one thing they, they all seem to have is really deep and talented defense groups, including Vegas, and Tampa, and Colorado. Um, I want to pivot. We don't have a lot more time with you. Um, I want to ask you about Austin Matthews. Um, I think we should talk about him a little bit. I just pulled up while you were talking the um, Hart Trophy odds for this year. Matthews on one site that I can see, 16 to 1. I kind of think that's nuts. Like I'm expecting him to look a lot more like the guy we saw in the two years prior. What are your expectations for him this year after like an injury played last season? Well, I certainly would expect his numbers to be back a little more what we're accustomed to. I mean, you know, it's hard to know if he'll be healthy through a whole season. You know, he's he hasn't missed a, a huge amount of games, but he's he's consistently missed stretches of time with with injury issues the last number of seasons. Um, but I'm with you. I think I mean he's just turned 26 this week. He's still in, in what should be the prime of his career. Uh, I think that you know having the contract settled when it was settled, how it was settled, will will be helpful for him in terms of it's just it's not really a question mark. It was never, I don't think, a distraction on his end of things, and it's given him a chance to have a great summer and and. Um, you know, he's consistently since he walked in the league been scoring at least half a goal a game, and then obviously at his best was getting close to 0.7 goals per game. So I, I think that you'll see him in the mix for the Rocket Richard Trophy again. If if it comes together the way it did two years ago, maybe it's going to be a Hart Trophy type year too. Although it's just hard to <clears throat> concoct any circumstance for Connor McDavid's getting knocked out of uh, you know pole position in terms of winning the MVP awards for the league. But you know, I I, I do think that that Matthews is due for a bit of a bounce back. It wasn't like Zoe was awful last year, but certainly wasn't at the level of dominance. We saw the, the couple seasons prior to that. And, and I, I just don't think after, after the kind of off season it's been and, and where the Leafs are at, where he's at personally, you know, very clearly knowing what the window of time is here to, to get the job done in Toronto. Um, I, I don't see anything standing in his way from having, you know, another 50 plus goals and, and probably hundred plus point season. Um, you know, he's, to my eyes, still one of the two or three best individual talents in the league. And, and, you know, a, a lot of things weren't, didn't go in his favor last year. And, you know, I would, I would think that that'll change this season. All right. I get one more for you, Chris. So I'm going to put you on the spot again, because that's what I'd like to do Love it. to our guests who, uh, you keep coming back. Some of the guests never come back again after all my stupid questions. <laughs> do you, do you, do you think, uh, is, is 10 million the right number for Nylander to get it done? Well, let's approach it a different way. I mean, the Leafs can give him eight years. I'm not saying they, they will give him eight years, but you know, that's part of the negotiation. You know, to me, if he gets eight years at say nine and a half million, help me with the back of the napkin math, what's that 76 total? Yeah. Um, you know, another team that can only give him seven years, you know, if he goes to free agency on July 1st, he would have to get over 10 million a year on a seven year deal to match that money. And, and, you know, I believe William Nylander's 
been forthright. I, I think he's being honest when he says he wants to remain a Maple Leaf. I, I think I think that there should be a world the Leafs can get him under ten million. Frankly, um, not I'm not saying way under. You know, I don't think that they've. I mean, things have gone quiet this last like week or two. So I'm not sure if there's been any progress in the in the very immediate term here on on getting to a deal. But I don't think the Leafs were ever in the nines through you know, the discussions that were held around the draft and in the early parts of the summer. Um, but I, I feel like the right number is sort of nine and a half, somewhere between there and 10, probably. Um, you know, I can understand why he's going to push for more. You know, he's at the end of the day, I guess what could change the, the dynamic is if, if they do play him at center this year and, and it's effective and he still puts up, you know, strong numbers. I mean, maybe I look at it differently, but at this point in time, He's a, he's a very high end winger in the league. Um, and you know, what you look at what the best wingers are paid, like you're not paying him what Pasternak got, I don't think. Um, so it's somewhere below that. I mean, I, I guess you could probably contort yourself to give him 10 million, but I, I do think a fair deal probably falls in the high nines on an eight year term. Interesting. All right. We got to leave it there. Uh, CJ, we will see you at camp. We'll talk to you at camp. Anything else you want to add before you go? No, I just said I hate when I'm on the episode because then I can't listen to the episode. That's, <laughs> like? that's that's about it. I'm always happy to come on, but uh, then when the new one comes into my inbox, I'm not going to listen to myself. So well, we got keep we got, putting out the good content, boys. We have another half hour of show still to go here, Chris. So you you just get half an episode if you don't like listening to yourself. Perfect. Well, I want I want more Mark Masters on this pod. So, <laughs> yeah, but the problem is you might be the only one that wants that. <laughs> no, that's come not. on. Why is Masters <laughs> catching stray bullets here? Well, because he, you know he deserves it. All right, TJ. Uh, listen to the Chris Johnson show. Uh, we love you. We watch you on TSN. Thank you, CJ. See you soon, boys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, James, uh, we're going to dive into some questions in a little bit. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit more about camp, too, which is starting this week, which is exciting, always. Um, But I think we should start here before we get into that, um, just to touch on the Mike Babcock situation. Just, I was saying to you, like, just a strange way for his NHL career to end. Like, it it felt like it was probably over He didn't even make it to training camp. And then obviously (laughs) he made it. Didn't make it to training camp. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) I mean, I was just thinking, James, like, you think of, like, when he got to Toronto, how highly thought of he was. He had obviously 
won the two Olympic golds. He'd won a cup with Detroit. He'd been to multiple finals. The contract the Leafs gave him. He literally was. The contract for coach in in league history because of his. And there was another team that that wanted him, obviously, pretty bad in Buffalo. Like, he was the guy. uh, And like you mentioned, massive contract. Obviously, it petered out here in noisy fashion. And then. It just felt like it was over, and then all of a sudden he was the Columbus coach, and now he's not. Like, what do you make of all So we did get a bunch of questions about this. Um, James B. says, uh, based on what you knew from his time in Toronto, does Babcock's flame out in Columbus surprise us? And I would say no, it would not. Um it come on! It, it has to. He he didn't even make it well, into I mean, the I'm season. Surprised, this is I'm surprised he didn't last that long. I'm not surprised that it went poorly in Columbus. You know, it's that that team felt like a bad fit for Babcock anyway. With the young players, with guys like Line A, like I, I have a hard time seeing how that was going to work. I, I don't think it was a very good hire for multiple reasons. But I also I agree with the people who are saying that I don't know that Columbus did their full due diligence because I think if you dug really deeply into what happened in Toronto there you know there was more than just the Marner incident and there was reason to believe that something like this could potentially happen with him to me it just feels like um he is a coach now I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this properly who isn't right for this era like he doesn't fit for what the the game is now for what players are did now. You, did you hear um and I, to me yeah, that's sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Did you hear Frank Corrado talking about playing for Babcock and and his problems with Babcock? It was I think it was last week. I didn't hear I've talked to him about this so I, I have a pretty good idea of what he said and I listen that, that's not an uncommon opinion. But his like, take was like a lot of his take was like the players don't dislike Babcock because he's old school because like what what Frank said was basically if you have an old school coach who's yelling at you and doesn't like what you're doing, you know what you're doing wrong. And at least the guy's yelling at you and telling you what's going on. His problem with Babcock is kind of like the head games and the weird stuff. And you don't know where you stand. And I've heard that from a number of guys that have played for the Leafs, former players, guys who have retired. There's like, what, why? Like, I didn't know where I stood with him. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. Yeah, but, but, my counter, James, is I've heard that about a lot of coaches. I heard that about Randy Carlisle, too. Like, I I kind of think that that's the old method of coaching where it's like you kind of don't – you do that. Like, that is, like, part of the strategy of how you're coaching where you, you're trying to, like, keep guys on edge. And it's like today's player, like, they don't – I mean, today – not just player, like, people in general of that age group, they, like, they don't like that. Like, they want to be talked to. They want to be communicated. They want to be treated basically – just like normal human beings and not, I don't know, To sorry for my language, but not fucked with. Like they just want to be treated normally. And it, it feels like that style of coaching is is going out the door. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, in hindsight, you look back and like, I remember when the Leafs hired him and you heard all the stuff coming out of Detroit about how the, you know, the players didn't, couldn't stand him. And I, I think, I think Babcock was allowed, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people in hockey who end up this way. I think Bab- Babcock was a- allowed to have the career he did and and to get so many opportunities because players often just don't speak out. Like n- no one was willing to like go on the record, and like there wasn't really, you know, there was obviously the Johan Franzen situation. You know, Chris Chelios had said some things, but there wasn't a lot. Like I think there, I think. 
I think a lot of those veteran guys in Detroit had real problems with Babcock, but they never, they didn't really want to like come out publicly and go and get into a war with him. And, and I think in Toronto too, like how many players have spoken out about their time in Toronto with Babcock? Not, not that many, you know, there's, there's this like, well, I, I just think James, like that was it for, for until recently that was accepted. Like if you go back and read like books about Scotty Bowman, players didn't like Scotty Bowman. Like it, I don't. I, I guess I I struggle with like I don't think it's unusual that players don't like their coach. I think that's probably more the norm, but I think some of the methods that were tolerated before and just accepted as okay aren't tolerated anymore. Like I think that's changing, and I think hockey's probably been. I don't want to say the slowest to change, but I think it's slow. Yeah, and I think I think part of what's happening is that the new generation of players are more comfortable with. Part of what happened here in Columbus is that Babcock came in with all this baggage. All the players on on the Blue Jackets all heard all offseason like, "Oh, you got to play for Babcock. What's that going to be like?" And and so he just he there was there was any kind of weird thing that he was going to try. Some players were going to call him on it, and that's what happened here. Which I think is good. I mean, I think that that kind of behavior needs to be. Like it's good that the union went in there and said, "Hey, what's going on here?" and talked to everybody. And because at first, when it first happened, it felt like it was just like one of those things that the the team and the league were just trying to make it go away as fast as possible. Like when when Paul Bissonnette came out and first started talking about it, they, there were statements released from from Boone Jenner and from the team. There's nothing to see here. But then when they dug a little bit deeper, there was something there. Yeah. Not a great situation for them. Obviously, hiring a new coach like days before the start of the season, um, and yeah, and that feels like that's it. Like that'll that like he's not getting another job now in the NHL. No, and I don't think he should either. So, but you know, it, it's there's like, do, do you put him in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Like, does he get invited to like the Stanley Cup reunion in Detroit? Like, you know, like Good I don't question. know. Like, is there a blackballing that happens here and? It's hockey's dealing with this with you know there's Quenville and and uh, Stan Bowman and uh, Bill Peters is now coaching in the WHL like it's I think it says something that I think those that th- those are all different incidents like it's hard to lump them all together I guess well, it, you can lump them all together because there's coaching infractions but they're all different yeah they're different but they're all people who have done wrong who were forced to sit on the sidelines because of what they did wrong. And the thing that hockey is trying to is reckoning with is do we continue to give these people more chances and, and, and when do we do and, and do they have to, is there some sort of rehabilitation that they're not going through that they need to? And it's, it's just, it's interesting that I think that's a society societal thing too, James. Like I think we struggle with like what to do with, people who've done bad stuff like in entertainment and sports and politics. Like, I think it's a hard thing. Like, I don't know what the right answer is. Like I struggle with like, okay, you do something wrong. Is that it? Like your, your, your life is over. You're never going to do anything again. And yet like you, you see some of these things and you think like, man, like, do you, do you deserve another chance? Like, I, right. I don't know. Like, I don't know what, what we do in society with second chances. And that was like something I think it was, I think I can't remember if it was John Davidson or Yarmul Kekalainen referenced like a second chance for Babcock and he got another chance and did something stupid and that's well, it. Now their jobs are potentially in trouble. So, you know, it's, 
It's it's I think it's healthy for hockey that more of this stuff is coming out and coming to light. I think it's good. It's not like this like military kind of situation where there's silence is is the norm. I think I think it's good. And not just because I'm in the media, but I just think it's healthy for what's happening behind the scenes, especially if it's toxic culture. Like it's not going to change if no one is no one's willing to talk about it or put it out in the open. So, you know, that's the <laughs> that's the one positive I think we can take out of this is that more of these things are getting called out. So, anyway, that's where I stand on that. All right, uh, let's take a break and then let's get into some questions about camp, I presume. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can I just ask you before you, you get to some questions, what are you most intrigued with at camp to see? Uh, I'm intrigued to see, uh, CJ was kind of hinting at a little bit, if there's anything we're not expecting, like if if they're going to try some some weird defense pairings, if they're going to create some lines we're not expecting. Um, one thing that I've been noodling on a little bit, Jonas, like I... What's noodling? Noodling. It just means like a thinking about using my noodle. Okay. Using my noodle to, okay. to analyze. Right. Yeah. Not heard that. All right. Noodling. Yeah. So what are you noodling about? You, yeah. Lots of times you talk about noodling when you're playing guitar, right? You're just like noodling around. So, but I've been noodling with, do you think, that, like, I wonder if there's a world where one of the wingers for the Matthews line or the Tavares line is, is different than we're expecting just to give them some more talent down the lineup. Like, I wonder if there's, one of those. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, James. Yeah. Because, so I was taught, like I did, uh, I wrote about training camp storylines. I wrote about like the roster. And one of the things like after I finished the training camp storylines that I started thinking about, because one of the, the topics was like, who's going to play with Matthews? Actually, that was like two topics. And one of them was like, which of the star wingers is going to play with Matthews? And then I started thinking like, maybe there's a world where neither one does. And this was like the, the lineup I sketched down on my pad where I was just like playing around with it. I was like, what if they went Bertuzzi, Matthews, Yarncrock, Neander, Tavares, Marner, Nyes, Domi, Blank? Yeah, I and I was like, eh, then then at least you have three lines. Maybe that can give you some offense. I've been playing with like know. like what if you put like a, a Yarncrock or like someone really unexpected up with Matthews and Marner and like just just give you a little bit. I I, I think they need to have something more on that third line. You know, I like the idea of having some offensive maybe it's yeah maybe it's nice domi and i don't know who, whoever i'm leaving nick robertson who, whoever i'm leaving out know. like i think they need to create and so i mean i'm interested i don't i don't think they're gonna do that but 
we don't we never really know until we get to the first day uh, on ice at training camp kind of what they're looking at and what they're experimenting with that first day so uh the leaps have um wednesday tomorrow they have uh kind of like the availabilities where everyone talks and then thursday they get on the ice and then we can see what Sheldon Keefe wants to see what what is he thinks his defense pairings are what what forwards often at training camp you can tell pretty early which guys have a chance of making the team and which guys don't based on what groups they're in and who they're playing with. So there's going to be all kinds of information we're going to gain from that uh, coming out of, of Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then they're going to, they're going to get into preseason games pretty quickly. But I just, I, I wonder if there's a world where they, they try some things that we're not expecting. And that could be putting someone who's considered more of a, maybe a bottom six forward, maybe putting him up on one of the top two lines just to balance out the lineup a little bit more. So I'm curious to see if they do some things that we're not, we haven't talked a whole lot about. Well, I'm glad we're talking them through now. And and to your point, like I'm looking back at last year's like line combinations and they had split squad on the first day and the first line mates for Matthews were Bunting and Yarncrock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, and then eventually it kind of warmed noodled its way to to bunting and marner and it, it kind of like gradually gets to that point you remember last year there was a couple days where they tried morgan riley on right d they were just like i think you're right like i think we'll see him him try some different things um but a, a problem like they have is like and we've talked about this with some of their additions like there's not there's a little less like malleability that they have now um so i'm curious to see how they figure that out yeah but i think one of the ways they could work around that is by I don't know being a little bit creative with what they're gonna like I understand why people want to see Bertuzzi play with Matthews and Marner because I think that like that's a no-brainer like that's gonna work but then you start looking at what's happening down the lineup and it's like there's not really a lot there like I don't think they can ideally I don't think they want like a camp Yarncroc third line and then Reeves and Gambrell on the fourth line like it I just feel like you're not going to get enough there but if you start like mixing things around a little bit you can get some pretty interesting combinations, and I wonder if they try eleven and seven at some point, Jonas, and and maybe the maybe there oh maybe there isn't a fourth line, like really, like it's like if you go eleven and seven with Ryan Reeves, you're basically ten and seven, right? Yeah, I mean he's going to play seven eight minutes. I mean that they've they've done that in the past with eleven and seven, and like some of the forwards don't play a whole lot, but yeah, I yeah, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm. Like I, th- I think we think that they're going to play, you know, like let's say Riley and Brody and McCabe with Klingberg and and Giordano with Logan, but maybe not. Maybe there's some other things that they want to look at. And I know you're, you, I mean, you're going to be at training camp every single day. You're going to see every permutation of of the lineup. And I think there's a lot of information you can draw from that with in terms of where they think that they might go this season. And it, you know, CJ said that he thinks that this might be an experimental season, so we might see some some odd stuff. And to be fair, haven't they experimented like every season? Mm. They're always experimenting. Remember that? Remember the year in in the Canada division? They had pretty much the same lineup the entire entire year. But I, I think yeah, but that's because they won like a million games. I, I think that not when it mattered. I, I think that I think oh. what, what Chris is <laughs> yeah. talking about in terms of being experimental, it's like maybe it'll be some stuff like like he said, like play Nylander more at center. You know, I, I mean, I wonder if you could try. They should do. If you could try Marner stuff. at center. I wonder if you could play Nylander on a third line. I wonder if you could, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm just saying some really wacky stuff, but um, why, I mean, what, why not? I mean, they're, 
going to make the playoffs, barring a complete total disaster that we can't, you know, they would need a huge run on injuries or something really weird to happen for them to miss the playoffs. So they should use the first half to try and like really see if they can find something that I just, they, they can't go back into the playoffs again as a two line team. And, and the second line is not very good defensively. Like it, we just know the problem that is we've work. said that for We've said that multiple times and that and always ends up happening. Yeah. Well, is, you know what I mean? Like we've gone into every year, like we can't do that again. And then it's like, well, no, they're well, going to do that. I, again. You know, I will say they can't do Tavares, Nylander and Kerfoot again because Kerfoot is not here. So <laughs> I, not I can here. say that. Well, I can say that. Trade for him. Trade him. Trade for him back. Deadline act. Can deadline I just ask acquisition. you one more question? And then you can get to actually no, just get to questions. I was going to ask you over <laughs> under last year's 111 points. Oh, they're going to be under. I'm going to say under. They're going to yeah. Do you think they're closer to 100? Uh, I think that I've said this before. I think they're going to finish like sixth in the NHL this year, seventh. So that's probably I don't know 105. It's like 108. Yeah, well, 106. Last year was like 108, 109. Yeah, I think they're going to be in that range based on like I think they're a little bit worse than last year, but also I think the Atlantic is a little bit softer than last year. So. Um, the really tough thing with predicting where a team's going to land is you don't know injuries and it's such a big, you know, teams can either have 80 man games lost to injury in a season, or they can have like four or 500. It makes a huge impact on their record. And we don't really know what the goaltending is going to give them either. So there's some stuff that's like, like this team's going to obviously score a lot of goals. Um, and I think they're coached well enough that they're going to be okay at preventing chances against, but there's there's definitely some we'll see. there's definitely some unknown factors that are make it hard to predict where exactly where they're going to land. All right, uh, this question a lot of people want us to answer. So Mike says this Leafs defense is clearly not a championship defense. Who do you predict is a defenseman the Leafs could trade, and who might they try and bring back? I mean, it's a bit bit early for this conversation. I get the sense, though, Jonas, uh, hearing from fans in the lead up to training camp, that there's a lot of people that really don't feel confident in the blue line right now. I I'm with them. I don't know what there is to feel confident about. Like it's not, it's not a great group. Like it's like, I I, I yeah, I, I don't get it. Like so, let me it's let me fine. It's just not. I want to play great. Yeah, I want to play devil's advocate. I mean, last year with the blue line, they went into the season with was it let's not include Muzzin, but like w- what they had last year for the first until, until they started bringing in reinforcements at near the trade deadline, like that blue line played pretty well. And it's not like they were super deep. Okay. Well, let me tell you that blue line, their starting blue line for the season was Riley Brody, Muzzin Hall, Giordano Sandine. And obviously Lilligram was hurt at that point. So the loss is really that- is Hall and Sandine, I guess from the group that they had for most of last season. Yeah, and like you still should throw Muzzin in there. So let's just say Muzzin is now okay. Well, let's say Muzzin is now McCabe. But let's just like let's let's go through it. Muzzin is now McCabe. That's worse. Hall is now or Klingberg or Lilligren. So that's like the same. Maybe better if Lilligren can take a step. Maybe better if Klingberg is something. Giordano is a year older, so that's worse. Sandine is now one of those other guys slash Logan, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, and that it's not like we looked at that group and we we're like, man, that group is awesome. Yeah. I mean, so they didn't have Muzzin for 
long. Uh, remember, and they the had injuries season. to the D yeah. last year. Like, remember, like they were had some pretty makeshift blue lines. Like Giordano was in the top four yes. for quite a long time, and you know they they managed without a great group. But I'm not I'm not saying that's ideal. It's funny, you know, I got a text from uh, an NHL coach and talking about Klingberg and his perspective was he thinks that he's actually what the Leafs need. Like they need someone who can generate some offense because if you look at the back end when they were in the playoffs, like that really Riley was the only one that could carry the puck. Um, so I don't, I mean, it's interesting that there are some people in the league that still believe in Klingberg, even though he's really struggled the last couple of years. Well, can I throw a couple names? Uh, so these are some guys who will be UFAs next summer at the moment who could like conceivably make some sense for the Leafs. I don't know if it makes sense for the other teams. Alec Martinez in Vegas, but he's important to Vegas. So that's probably no go. Uh, he's also older. Noah Hannafin is obviously someone we've talked about before. Chris Tanev in Calgary, both guys Calgary. Uh, Taves in, in Colorado, he's too important, so he's probably not going away. Brett Pesci, someone we've talked about a lot in Carolina, also important to that team. I think Brady Shea is also a UFA, pending UFA, but again, good team. So, like, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see how some of these teams do. Like, maybe it's like someone like Ian, well, he's got two years, Ian Cole or I don't know, Derek Forbert. They might be in a situation too, Jonas, where it's like money in, money out at the trade deadline. Like they're not, yeah. unless there's like an injury. Like the thing I think some people forget is that last year they were able to bring in so many pieces at the trade deadline because Muzzin was on LTIR and they had that, I think it was an extra $4 million to to spend. So, um, but yeah, it does, it does feel like if we had to predict that what they're going to be looking for at the trade deadline is going to be a defenseman. All right. Uh, let's see. Andrew says, "How much of the the prospect event did you dive into and sample?" I mean, our, our colleague Josh Cloak was that's his uh, that's his forte. Did you did you catch much of it? Not a ton. I just read Josh as I always. Do. It's it's tough when uh, the team's in the situation where they don't really have a lot of prospects on the cusp of making the team. Um, one of the questions Andrew said is, is just kind of, do we feel like there's anyone that was in Traverse City other than Nyes that might have a chance of making an impact this year? And it doesn't really feel like it, does it? Yeah, I can't see it. They're just like, they're not, if they were a bad team, like a, a crappier team, maybe. Right. But like we look at the we look at their roster and it's like most of these spots are spoken for. Like there's like maybe one, two jobs available, if that well and even like the depth spots that you see, they've brought in a bunch of guys who have played, you know, like Gambrell's played two hundred and thirty NHL games. They they brought in three defensemen that have NHL experience that that are gonna be kind of like the eight, nine, ten guys. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard for like a Topi Niemela or someone like it's difficult for someone like that to outplay a player who's 26, 27, 28 years old, who's already played 70 plus games in the NHL, you know? So I just think, yeah, the stage they're at is not really about developing guys in the NHL. It's about, are you ready to help this team, you know, contend? Uh, Greg asks, should Brandon Shanahan be worried about his job security, especially if there's a similar outcome this year? He's been on the job for 10 years with no playoff success. At what point would MLSE consider changing things? I mean, I think that he's got two years left on his deal, and I think that this is uh, those those are going to be a pretty important two years for them to have to figure it out. But 
the thing is, when you get down to two years, as we saw with Kyle Dubas, do you really want to go into a lame duck situation with your team president? And you probably don't, right? It probably doesn't make sense. So this is a huge year for Shanahan and whether or not he's there's going to be an extension or anything like that. Yeah, obviously I wrote about this, so uh, it's top of mind for me. It's it's hard to see like if you've continued to do the same thing again and again and again. If the same thing were to happen again, like I don't know how you you keep anything substantial the same. Like it seems like if you zoom out, keeping the core together has been a, a Brendan Shanahan thing. Like I'm not saying that it wasn't a front office thing with Kyle Dubis, but clearly there was a split this past summer and Brendan Shanahan has been intent on bringing that group back again and again and again. That's the vision. Clearly they brought back the head coach. They changed the GM. That's like at some point, like you actually have to have success in the playoffs. Like that's what this is about. That's sports. Like they've been a great regular season team. They were not a great regular season team. Obviously before he got here, they were, I mean, you were there. I was there. People listening know what that was like. They didn't win a lot of games. But the point is not to win a lot of regular season games. The point is to win a lot of regular season games and actually make deep runs in the playoffs and try to win a championship. And they've just not really been close at all to a championship during his tenure. And 10 years, that's a long time. Like, and If they get to the, the end of next season and they have one playoff round in his 10 seasons as president, I don't know how you, you, you say like that's, that's good enough for us. So we'll see. Well said, Jonas. All right. Um, Dustin wants to know, is it safe to assume this is a do-or-die year for Lilgren's Leaf career if he can't solidify himself in the top four with new management? What do you think? I don't know if it's do-or-die. Like it, it feels like you mentioned last time we talked uh, on the pod about like Dermid and, and guys like that. It doesn't feel quite as... Uh, I don't know if perilous is the right word, but it doesn't feel quite as fraught, I guess, as as it did with like say Dermot, where it was like I don't know, like this guy is for sure a third pair defenseman and nothing more. With Lilgren, it feels like like he's I think he's better than what Dermot was he's been trending up, but he's kind more than yeah, yeah, he's been trending up more than Dermot ever did, and yet like maybe he is just a third pairing defenseman, like he is an RFA at the end of the season. Maybe they get to the end of the year and they're just like. Yeah, like we'll keep him, but like he's just a third pair defenseman and we'll pay him accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a lot of like, I mean, you look at the, we mentioned the blue line, you look at the age of the blue line. He's like the, aside from like Connor Timmons, the blue line's like pretty old. Like he's like the one guy who's kind of in the range to be around for a while, obviously beyond Morgan Riley. Um, so yeah, like he's 24. Yeah, I think he's still. I think there's still room for him. Uh, the hope for this year, I, he plays at least some in the top four. That's going to impact the kind of a contract that he's going to get. As soon as you start paying a guy $3 million plus a year, he's locked in as a top 4D, un- 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 unless, you've, unless you've made a mistake. So it, it, it's a big year for Logren. I don't, think, I don't think necessarily you need to trade him or whatever if it doesn't work out this year, but it's a big year for him to establish himself as something more than just a depth defenseman. So, uh, let's see, let's see. Tiago, I hope I said that right, wants to know, uh, how do the Leafs feel about Connor Timmons? He's the same age as Logren, good size, um, good offensive indications, 
he unfortunately seems like he might be a cap casualty if he cannot make the team during training camp. You know, I've played around with their cap numbers a lot, and they, it seems like they're too tight to have a seventh defenseman that makes $1.1 million. Um, so the question is, they could do it if they go 11-7. and seven, They can fit him on the roster. Uh, but that's the only way, unless they, they trade somebody else. So what, what do you think they should do with, with Timmons Jonas? Do you think they should try and break a hole for him, or do they try and sneak him through waivers? Like, what, what's the right play there? I, I have a hard time thinking he would be claimed. Like he's got this year and next at one point one. He is only twenty five, but he's only played sixty six games. It's not like like he played those games last year for the Leafs. It's not like it was like, man, that guy for sure. Like he had flashes, but it it told you a lot about what they think of him presently. That he completely got buried on the depth chart once they made those acquisitions and like they made those acquisitions clearly in part because they just didn't consider him even an option for the playoffs you know what i mean like they if if you think he's can help you you don't really need to add eric gustafson or yeah whoever yeah so i don't know and the fact that like i like they could in theory like move around the parts if they wanted to like bump mark giordano they could move around the parts to make him part of their top six, but I mean, they like they literally stopped playing him for most of the second half. Like he played like a couple games in like I think March or April. He wasn't even an option in the playoffs, so I don't know. Do you think? Like I don't think he would get claimed either. Like I mentioned before, like I just don't. I think you're probably it. right, but it's it's hard to know with those younger defensemen. Like if you're a, one of the bottom feeding teams and you have an injury on defense, maybe you'll be like, "Yeah, let's try this guy." I mean, like, what do we have to lose? So, um, <clears throat> like if you're Arizona claims him back, well, no, I don't know. If you're like, let's say you're Montreal and you have an injury on defense in training camp, it's like, what do they have to lose by bringing him in? You know, there there aren't that many right side defensemen. If you're a team that what about like San Jose? Like I, I, I know we have our season previews that um, Dom and, and some of our national writers at uh, the Athletic produce every year. I've been looking ahead to some of the season preview content, and like I think I think they've got, I believe they've got San Jose predicted to finish last. And one of the questions they ask about San Jose is like, is this one of the worst blue lines that's that's played in the NHL in the last little bit? And you look at the personnel, and it it sure seems like it. So if you're a team like that, like what do you have to lose with claiming Timmins? Yeah, well, and it it wouldn't be the best thing for the Leafs to lose them. Like they're not. It's not like they're no. booming with guys who can help if they have injuries. Like it's like Benoit, who's like okay. No, I think you know, in an I ideal world you want to have him and be able to play him sometimes and see if he develops into something more because he's missed a lot of time with injury. You know, at one point he was really highly regarded as a prospect. It kind of feels like going back to that decision that they got kind of ahead in over their skis. Is that the saying? Consigning him to that extension. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's just the the like, number is an RFA like the number is high, right? Like he's, you know, when he's making that much, it's not inconsequential that, you know, the other depth defensemen that the Leafs have are making what is it? 350 grand less. Like that matters with how tight the Leafs are to the cap. Uh all right, let's go one more here. Uh this is kind of a long question, but um kind of interesting. Um Dalton wants to know, uh, would the Leafs and Nylander possibly be interested in doing a one-year deal at a smaller raise for next season, and then possibly a bigger extension when 
when John Tavares' contract is up. Tavares has got two years left, basically. So I see this pretty frequently that fans come up with these kind of like, what if they did a one-year deal and then do another extension after that? <clears throat> the the problem with trying to do that is it's a huge risk for the player to take. You know, like like when CJ was on here, um, he's talking about, you know, Nylander could get 76 million or he could get 70 million as a UFA or like it's it's just a mind-bogglingly huge amount of money to put at risk to do the one-year deal. And I just, it, it doesn't, if you're the agent for Nylander, if you're Lewis Gross, you're going to be like, there's no way you should do this. Like it doesn't make any sense to do a one-year deal. Because if you get hurt or you have a really terrible season, look at Klingberg, right? Like Klingberg, at one point Klingberg had a massive extension on the table, right? Like it was, what was it, seven years at seven million or something like that in Dallas? It didn't end up getting done. The negotiation didn't quite, you know, I, I think they were close, but not close enough to get it done. And then all of a sudden Klingberg, now he's jumping from one year deal to one year deal. He's only making four million this year. Like, you got to be really careful. You're playing with fire if you if you try and do something like that as a player. Yeah, I think like the one thing I've tried to write when I've written about that situation and maybe similar ones I've talked to you about that I think always gets like I don't know lost is you have to like entice the player to to sign. Like why would I would Neander do that? Why would he take what he would consider a, a below market deal? Like. There's just no incentive to do it. You know what I mean? Like you have to incentivize yeah. the player. It's not just about the team. Yeah. I, I understand why fans are asking that and they'd like to see it. Yeah, but, I get but, it. You know, you're right. It's just like, it's a, it's a life changing amount of money. I mean, it's like generational money that Neilander potentially has on the table. You know, his kids and his grandkids are going to be taken care of. So like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for him to walk away from that, even though. Obviously, it makes more sense with the the salary structure that the Leafs have in place and and the big contracts that they've still got on the books for next year. Can you just um, before we close to kind of add another thought on Neander? Am I wrong? Like I I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I know I think I've written about it. Why do why do we in hockey get so hung up on like nine point five is okay, but ten point two can't do it? Well, I mean there has to- like am I am I wrong with that? Like, am well, I, I think you were wrong crazy? when we were talking about Marner, and you were saying that like the line could have been higher than where it was because like because how because how do you win if you pay a guy way more than his market value? Like it just it just hurts you. But how do you win without that player? Well, you spend that. I you, mean, you could say here, well, they haven't won anyway. You but. spend that money on other players. Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean that's. That's not always easy to do. Like it's like, then you end up spending cap space is a commodity, on, right? So, like, if you go into a trade and you're the team that's got a lot of extra cap space, then you can you you have more maneuverability in any trade you would make, and you can be more active in free be. agency. And so, the question is, if the number for Nylander is ten point two five or whatever, and you're saying, why don't they just do it? Well, can they find a better use for ten point two five million over the next? eight years than than paying Nylander that you know and and the answer for them might be yes I mean maybe they want to go into for agency next year and sign Noah Hannafin for I don't know what he would get seven and then you have some money left over to do something else I don't know if that makes you yeah that, that gets into like the whole question of like trading those guys and yeah I don't know it, it's 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 not easy I I do think yeah anyway we can talk more about that 
at a later date. One question I wanted to ask Chris I didn't have time for is I wanted to give us like a percentage chance he thinks that Neilander does sign an extension because I, I think it's too hard to call right now. I think it's, I don't even, I don't think even the most plugged in people in the league, Chris is one of them. I don't think they know which way this is going to go. I don't think Neilander or the Leafs know which way that's going to go right now at this point. Well, to echo CJ's point at, at last check for me, all quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those ones again, that, like they're going to have to, like, if that's what they're offering, why would he do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it, it's going to have to be, the offer is going to have to start with a nine for it to be realistic. Like I don't, it's interesting that the Leafs are trying to push home something with an eight because it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you look at, you look at the comparables and, 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 you know, Philip Forsberg and Timo Meyer and some of these, some of these players, like, <clears throat> I, I just don't see how, how that makes any sense. All right. Well, James, we will be back next week to recap and get into the first few days at camp. We'll have a game to to get into. Is it one game or two games? I can't remember. There's one on the 24th. Do you know? No? Uh, <laughs> gotta, be, gotta be honest, Jonas. I don't know. Uh, don't they, <laughs> they play Ottawa, right? They, they've got a... Yeah, so they play... I'm looking at it. They play Ottawa on the Sunday, and then they play Ottawa again on the Monday... And then they play Buffalo on the Wednesday and then a back-to-back. Yeah, well, because it, it's all going to be split squad games, right? And what they've done in recent years is the split squad is like one of the teams has NHL players on it and the other one does not have a whole lot of NHL players on it. So yes. some of those games... So the one that travels to Ottawa will not be full of NHL right, players, probably. Right, yeah. So some of those games are going to be, from our perspective, some of those games are going to be good to watch to see what they're thinking in terms of getting the roster ready for the season. And some of those games are going to be... Let's look at some prospects and see what they can do. All right, James. Well, this was fun. Thank you to our our guy, Chris Johnson, for coming on, listening to his podcast, watch him on TV. Anything else, James? And thank you to our producer, Punch, who always does the heavy lifting for making us sound beautiful every every week. Yes, Guy, and thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, We will be back next week.